that's not the only story that, that you're excited about. I hope there's a story of your life that you know and that you share and that is important to your heart. Do you set uh, New Year's resolutions? Something tells me, looking out here at the age of us, we've probably kind of grown out of that from repeated failures in the past. We say, no, I'm not going to do that anymore, right? That happens, that happens. I got one for you today, though. I got one for you. If you don't have one, maybe you'll have one by the time I'm done. I want to remind you of my story, and I think I've shared this with you guys at length, but um, not all of you have heard it. You know, I was not born a pastor in any way, shape, or form. I was from a family that was uh, religious, but there was no relationship with Christ. And we went to church, but we never heard the gospel. Isn't that something? We went to church every Sunday morning. We sat right there, second pew, left-hand side. We sat in your seat every single week. My dad was my Sunday school teacher. My parents sang in the choir. We were there every week. I lit the candle at the front of the service and all that kind of stuff. Gospel never shared. I was not a believer. My parents weren't believers. My family, none of us believers. But over time, God snuck in the gospel there, and I came to Christ. And I'll just flash forward. Got married, moved to Berkeley County, got connected with a good church. Saw Christianity that was real. Saw real Christ following And it was attractive to me. It was sincere. It was men, for me, it was men who loved God and weren't weird. That's just where I was. It didn't seem strange, but these these people loved Jesus. And I was drawn to that. And over time, um, God worked, and I had gotten invited to a special men's event. This is something from the past. Maybe you remember this name. It was Promise Keepers. I went to a Promise Keepers convention in Washington, D.C., and man, did I ever see God work. Over 50,000 men singing songs like Blessed Assurance. And it was powerful. And there was something there that I was just, I was moved in my spirit. Long bus ride home. Strangely enough, my bus ride went to Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, and then down to Martinsburg. Long story, not worth telling, but it was a long journey, I'll just say that. And I got home, it seems like it was a Saturday evening, seems that way, pretty late. Now my wife at that point, probably still the case, was, was was much more spiritually in tune than me especially at that time. And I knew she was desiring more from me as a husband. I knew that. She never said it. But I was, you know. So she had to be. And I remember I I came into our bedroom that night, and I found the NIV study Bible, probably where we left it the previous Sunday when we got home from church, right? You know how that works. Right there it is, where you left it, because you didn't touch it all week. And I remember grabbing it, And Nancy's saying, how was the weekend? How was it? And I didn't plan for this conversation. I didn't think it out in advance. I'm not even exactly sure what I said. But I know I said something like this. I said, Nancy, I saw something this weekend 
an excitement about Jesus, a real following of Jesus Christ. And I've decided in my heart that I'm either going to follow Christ like that or I'm walking away from this. I'm not going to play a game anymore. I'm either following Jesus or I'm walking away from it all. And I remember a fearful look in her eye. Like, you know, I was praying for God to work, but this isn't exactly what I was praying for, right? And I remember, I didn't know where to go to in the Bible, but I went to the book of Philippians, chapter 1, verse 1. And I read that night in a way that I never had read God's Word before, because I came hungry, see. I came hungry. And it has not been, you know, believe me, it's not been all fireworks ever since then. But God has worked. And what has happened over the years is I've seen the inexperienced times where I was living what I came across much later, an expression that is near and dear to my heart. It's a Latin phrase. I don't, I've never studied Latin, but I'll tell you what it is, and I'll put the meaning up on the screen, because it's the meaning that matters. You've probably seen it before. There's over a hundred universities and colleges that have this as their motto, okay? And it's this, it means, go ahead and put it up on the screen, please, to be rather than to appear. Esse quam videre. Remember that? Some of you have been on trips with me on the river, okay? Some of you have done that with me before. Every time I take a group of teenagers or young people on a canoeing trip, this is our theme. Esse quam vedere. Say it with me. Esse? Esse? Quam vedere. It means to be rather than to appear. Here's how it works on the river. You start out, you got all these kids, you know, 15-year-old, and they are just experts of canoeing, right? I mean, they've watched so many YouTube videos on how to run a canoe. They are just experts of it. And I start out and tell them, now guys, here's what we need to remember. Esse quam vedere. To be rather than to appear. And they're like, okay, Pastor Lowell, all right. And we got, all get in the boats. We start down the river. And I know the river well. I grew up on this river. Okay, I know every turn, every ripple. I know where they're at. And we come up to the most challenging one. I pull the boats off to the side. And I tell all the guys, now listen, you want to go left and then right and then shoot down through the middle. And remember, esse quam vedere. To be rather than to appear. Because here's what I know. They don't know how to ride a canoe. They don't know how to steer a canoe. They don't know what they're doing. But they want to make everybody else think that they do. They're telling stories about playing, you know, canoe games on Xbox and watching videos. And there's a canoe in their backyard and their dad owns three canoes and all this stuff. And they don't know what they're doing. And that rapid's going to show it real quick. Because it's not easy. Because right across the middle, all the way, the whole length of the river is this ledge. And there's about two inches of water that flows over top of this rock. Remember it, some of you? And if you hit that thing wrong, your boat rolls right over. Every time. Every time. You want to come? It's fun. It really is. I say, quam guys. You need me to tell you how to do it? No, I got it, Pesciolo. Okay. 
So down they go. And sure enough, blah, 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 they roll the boat over. Next one. Ese quam venere, right? You got it? You need me to tell you how to do it? No, I know how to do this, Pastor Law. That idiot doesn't know how to ride a canoe. And down they go and they lose it every single time. The best story, and this is actually a scary story, really, had this boy, I mean, he was talking talk the whole time. You know, he'd been whitewater rafting and whitewater canoeing, you know. It's like he was born in a boat and all this stuff, right? And he starts down through the rapid, okay? I mean, you can just tell instantly. You know, they're swinging their paddle up in the air. I mean, they don't know what they're doing. It's just hilarious to watch. I love to have it on videotape. But... So they come down through videotape. Well, I just aged myself. Just get the idea. They come down through, and this boy, okay, rolls his boat over. Now, parents, if you ever take a canoe trip with me, if your kids do or something, I got them. They're safe. Except this time. This boy falls in the water, and he can't get out. He's like struggling. He's trying to swim, and he can't get out. And I jump in the water, me and another guy, and we're trying to get him. And we can't get this guy out of the water. I mean, for just a second, it's a little scary. Just a second. We finally got him up on the beach. Okay, drug him up out of the water, and he, was, and he can't even stand. He's just like, oh, oh man, Pastor Lowe, that didn't work. I said, yeah, it didn't work. He said, no, no, the waiters, it didn't work. Now, if you're not a fisherman, you may not know what waders are, okay? But waders are real tall boots that go all the way up to here, okay? And you wear them when you go trout fishing, so you can stand in the water and not get wet. Well, this genius, S.A. Quam not, wore waders underneath his clothes. Think about what that means for just a minute. He falls in the water... What do the waiters do? They fill up with water. And so now, instead of weighing 135 pounds soaking wet, he weighs 185 pounds filled with wet. And it's all we can do to get him out of the water. You know, to this day, I know this guy. He is a, he's a principal um, in, in the local school district, he's a 35-year-old, very successful man. And any time I see him, it's been a long time, I ask him about the waiters, you know. He gets a little red face. Ese quam videre. To be rather than to appear. Here's your resolution. Here it is. For 2015, how about you make it your call? How about you make it your life ambition? For God to work in your heart in such a way that esse quam videre, that you will be a follower of Christ, not just appear to look like a follower of Christ, that you will be rather than to just simply appear. Turn your Bible to Luke chapter 20. Luke chapter 20. And we are going to see Jesus Address this face to face. But I want to challenge you with this idea that the longer you've been playing the game of appearing, the better you get at it. And what needs to happen in your life is you've got to break before the Lord and say, God, I am not what I want to be. 
I am all about appearance. I am all about looking like a follower of yours, but it's not really there. Because that only way that you be, rather than to appear, is to break. It's to break. The sham of your life has got to be broken. And what I, my, my call for you, because although some of you I may not know that well, I love you. And I don't want to see the break of life come into your life so that at that moment you become more concerned with being rather than appearing. That night, before my wife, in 1994, a 24-year-old who'd been hanging around church for a year and a half, I'd say to her, I'm not for real. I'm a fake. That was a break. And all the way home, I broke on the way home because I knew I was a liar. I knew I was a hypocrite. That's the word. Chapter 20, verse 45. We've been going through the Gospel of Luke. We're coming into the good part. Jesus is coming to the cross. Say, why is that good? Stay with me. You'll know in a couple months. Verse 45. And in hearing... In the hearing of all the people, he said to his disciples, Beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and love greetings in the marketplaces and the best seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at feast, who devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers. They will receive the greater condemnation. What Jesus here is addressing in these scribes' life is hypocrisy. I believe I have that up on the screen. Hypocrisy. I think. Maybe not. I forgot to put it. Um, It's on your notes, I believe. Hypocrisy is what I'm after. And Jesus here speaks against it. He doesn't use... Luke does not use the word hypocrite in this passage, but in the parallel passage of Matthew... Chapter 23, Jesus uses it over and over and over. He speaks to the scribes and the Pharisees and He says to them over and over and over, you are hypocrites. You are hypocrites. Now what is a hypocrite? And what is the opposite of a hypocrite? Let me start with the opposite. The opposite of a, hip- of a hypocrite is one who is authentic. There's an authenticity You are the real deal. It's hard to define, but you know it when you see it. Right? There's no no faking. There's no sham. There's no pretense. The authentic follower of Christ, through and through, they're a follower of Jesus. They're not putting on airs. They're not trying to impress. They're just out there with who they are. And they know that God loves them and accepts them as they are. They're authentic. And that's the call for us today we're going to see. Behaving authentically means that you behave in a manner that is consistent with what you believe. I wrote my Bible shortly after that event in 1994. Lord, help my life to catch up with what I believe. Help my life to catch up with what I believe. Now, what Jesus says over and over and over is that the Pharisees and the scribes and and all these people, they are 
hypocrites. Now, what is a hypocrite? Go ahead and turn your Bible with me, would you? Turn to Matthew. Keep your finger there. I want you to turn over to Matthew chapter 23. And I want you to see Jesus in this parallel passage. You know there's four Gospels. The Gospels are all telling the story of Jesus, the good news of Jesus, and each of them kind of give a different spin on who Jesus is and what He had to say. And you can see here in Matthew chapter 23 that Jesus is going to use this term over and over and over, a hypocrite. Look at verse number 13. But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. And he says this over and over and over again. What does this mean? Hypocrite is actually a term from drama. And it means a mask is what it means. It means that a a person would take a mask and put it on, and now they're in character. I did this in our Clocus class today. I played the part of somebody. And I would stand here and interact with somebody with, I didn't have an actual mask, but I was in character. And I would say, okay, I'm going to step out of character now and come over here and talk about what we said. That's a hypocrite. The hypocrite is the masked person putting on this mask so they can play a part. So when we think, when we think about it in spiritual terms, what Jesus is having to say, we can see it kind of described in Matthew chapter 23, verses 2 and on. Look what Jesus has to say here. See what a hypocrite is. The scribes and the Pharisees, verse 2, sit on Moses' seat. So do and observe whatever they tell you. So, in other words, they're talking right. Do what they say, but not the works they do. For they preach, but do not practice. You see what a hypocrite is? A hypocrite, a hypocrite has a pretense. That means to pretend. That means to place on oneself voluntarily a false image. A pretense of godliness. This is to act apart. There's a desire in the hypocrite for human praise. I put on this mask so that you will be impressed by me. This makes perfect sense for the Pharisees, the scribes, the Sadducees, all religious people. It makes perfect sense for religious people. Because religious people think that religion, that Christianity, is simply a matter of following rules. That's what the Pharisees believe. That's what the scribes believe. That's what most people believe about religion. It's about me following rules. And so the Pharisees and the scribes know that there's these rules that they've got to follow in order for God to accept them in some way. I mean, that's simplifying their view, but it'll work. So there's rules that I have to follow. But the truth is this. They know that they don't. They don't follow their own rules. Why? Because they're lazy? Why? Because they're undisciplined? Why? Because they are just so, you know, horrible people? Well, yeah, just like you and me. You see, they're sinners. They're sinners. And what do sinners do? Sinners sin. And so now they're at a quandary. They're at a why. My system tells me that in order to be accepted by God, in order for you to know that I'm accepted by God, I've got to follow these rules. But I don't. So I'm in a quandary. 
Do I abandon my system or do I fake it? Do I abandon my system or fake it? What Jesus has made very clear in Matthew chapter 23 and Luke chapter 21, that the Pharisees and the scribes, now not all of them, but the vast majority chose to fake it. And so Jesus called them hypocrites. Now, a lot of times you will hear people say, the church is full of hypocrites. You ever heard that? How many have heard somebody say that? The church is full of hypocrites. Let me tell you, let me, let me just diffuse that bomb for just a minute, okay? It's not true. It's not true at all. And what it reveals is a misunderstanding about what Christianity is. See, here's what happens. The world, I'm using the word world just for people who aren't believers, okay? Let me diffuse the argument of the church school hypocrites. They think that we come in here and I tell you how to be good boys and girls. That's what they think. They think you walk in here and I give you maybe a list of 12 rules and we're all going to follow those this week. Ready? Go, go follow the rules. Let's follow the rules. And we all roll out of the rules, rules, rules. Okay? And that's what they think Christianity is. And they know 10 of the 12 rules, generally. You know, you don't kill, you don't steal, you don't commit adultery, all that kind of stuff, right? They know them, generally. And then they see you and me out there driving. Somebody cuts me off, I'm like, you dirty money, right? You say something mean to them, okay? And what do they say? Hypocrite. Hypocrite. There was a rule about not saying nasty things when driving a car and you didn't do it. Hypocrite. But their foundation, belief, about what a follower of Christ is, is wrong. We are not Christians because of a set of rules. We are followers of Christ because Jesus Christ died in our place rose victorious and placed his spirit in us and we only receive that through grace. And so when you and I sin, it doesn't prove hypocrisy. It proves that we need grace. People say the church is full of hypocrites because they don't understand what the church is. Now, you can be a Christian hypocrite. Don't get me wrong. You can be. But when you walk out of here and you sin, that doesn't make you a hypocrite. That makes you in need of a Savior. Now, we'll talk about what a Christian hypocrite is in a minute. But let's look here at our passage and see what Jesus is saying here. He starts out with the scribe's performance and it's before men. We're in Luke chapter 20. The scribe's performance and it's totally before men. He says, beware of the scribes. This is a word of warning. Look out, take heed, guard against. Now I want you to picture these guys as they walk in the room, walk down the street, white robes, long tassels hanging from their robes. Okay? You are required as a common person when a scribe walks down the street. It is just like an army private when a sergeant walks in the room. Everybody says, at ease! And all the soldiers go to, go to parade rest. You do the same thing when a scribe walks in your presence. He is that honored. Everyone is to stand up 
and be still. Unless you are, are, are at labor in the moment, you are excused by, to this, from this, that is. But when a scribe walks in, you jump to attention out of respect, out of deference to him. And it is a him. Definitely a him. No her scribes. No and they walk in the room and they've got this long robe and people walk over to them. Hello, Rabbi. I teach her. Oh, instructor. Father. Calling out words of, of respect to this person. He's on his way maybe to a, to a meal. Because if you're a rich person, you want a scribe at your table. And you have him sit at the head of the table and you are at his right side around your table. And now you're a person of prominence, of importance, because there's a scribe there. At the synagogue, check this out. At the synagogue, we might all be standing looking in this direction. The scribe has a special seat. You know where the scribe's seat is? It's right here, okay? He's right up here up front, right? Like this? No, like this. Looking back at us. And we, we read about the the strong facial gestures that they would give. Yes, yes, we must be godly. Yes. Looking back at you, eyes of judgment seeing what you're doing, eyes of judgment seeing what I'm doing. they got these great seats. And they work up these little deals, especially with the widows and those that are weak in this culture. Special little deals. And what this passage seems to indicate is they were connected to some kind of a spiritual power of maybe if you, you know, give me some money, I'll spray a long prayer for you. Oh, little widow who has no money. They took advantage of people. I mean, these guys are a nasty bunch. Jesus says, beware of them. And at the end, they, verse 47, they will receive the greater condemnation. I saw this quote this week and I was impressed by it. No person can foster the impression that he or she is great and then exalt a great God. It really hit me. And that's what's going on with these scribes and these Pharisees. They want everyone to know because this aligns with their system of works, they want everyone to know that they're great. But then in verse 20, chapter 21, Jesus now, Luke records that Jesus looked up. Verse 21, he looks up. He starts, starts to talk about the scene there. Let me read it. Jesus looked up and saw the rich putting their gifts into the offering box. And he saw a poor widow put in two small copper And he said, Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all of them. For they all contributed out of their abundance. But she, out of her poverty, put in all she had to live on. Now, it's easy to take this passage and and try to make it so that God is, is telling us how we are to give. It'd be easy to do that. I really don't think that's where Jesus is headed on this. I don't think this is a passage on giving. I mean, if it is, then we should literally give everything that we have, right? 
I don't think that's what Jesus is driving at here. Nowhere does he say, do likewise. He doesn't say, this is a model for you for giving. When Paul talks about giving in 2 Corinthians chapters 8, 9, and 10, he doesn't refer to this. He doesn't say, give everything you have. That's not what happens here. I think what we have here is we've, we've seen the fraud, okay? We've seen the scribe performing before men. Now Jesus is pointing to the one who is authentic. She is following God with reckless abandon by faith. And it's authentic. It's real. This is not so much about how much are you supposed to give. Or That's not what this passage is driving at. It doesn't fit the, the, the flow of the argument at all. Jesus is, is putting up before us this, this comparison, this contrast between a sham and the real thing, between a scribe performing before men and this widow who is authentically following God. And we, we are being challenged to not be the hypocrite, but to be authentic. So let's just talk about what's happening here. There at the offering box, or your, your translation may say the treasury, it's kind of hard to picture what this is. There's 13 treasury boxes, okay? And each of them there along beside the temple area, each of them have this, this long, they were called trumpets, okay? Because of what they looked like. They, they were these long tubes that came up that, that you could throw coins into and they would roll down this, this tube into this box, okay? And, and they were labeled for different things for different types of offerings. And so picture, it's Passover, remember? The city is packed full of people. And people now are coming one after the other, and they're dropping coins into these long brass trumpets. And the coins roll down and make a splash. And this rich guy comes along, and I don't know whether he's got a tub or a bucket or what, but he dumps in the coins, and you can hear it now. You can hear it fall. You can hear it rolling down. And everybody, oh, wow, it's great that he gave. And he got just all the reward that he can ever expect. He just got it. He just got it. And then this little old lady comes up. She's a widow. You can tell by the way she's dressed. Widows are required to dress a certain way. You can tell that she's destitute because all widows are destitute. There's no system for provide for them. There's no help for them. The only hope they have is a family member that might help them. And up she comes. And she drops two what they called lepta. It, what it really means is it's, it's a sliver is what it means. She drops these two little coins in. One of those coins, now listen to this. One of those coins is worth one 128th of a person's day labor. So you work a 10-hour work day, okay? You divide that work day into 128 parts. I think that's four minutes. And that's how much you get paid. That's how much she dropped in times two. So eight minutes work, she dropped in. Nothing. Let me tell you, you didn't hear that coin drop at all. There were just a little sliver a little sliver of a copper coin. She dropped them both in there. She didn't know Jesus saw her. 
Nothing in the passage says that she, that she knows Jesus is watching. If she was a believer, which I think that she probably was, she's with the Lord today. And look at how her gift has accomplished much in the kingdom of God. And even to this day, I doubt she even knows it. How would she know? She's not, she didn't hear me talking about this right now. See, God took this authentic heart and used it greatly. And then she scurried off into oblivion and nobody knows who she was. We don't even know her name. But Jesus here, he is drawn to her authenticity. Verse 3, I tell you, this poor widow is put in more than all of them. Now remember the context. The scribes were taking advantage of the widows. They were stealing from the widows. The word there is devour. It actually means to eat. They were eating, figuratively, eating the widows. Come here. Come here, honey. I live off of you. Throw them away. And now we got this widow. She comes up as an illustration for us of what it means to authentically follow and trust God. Now, what does it look like? What, what makes me think that? Verse 4, for they contributed all, contributed out of their abundance, that is, but she, out of her poverty, put in all she had to live on. It wasn't required of her. As a matter of fact, I would say, if she came to me and said, uh, Lo, um, you know, I have these two liptas. Uh, you think I should put this in the offering plate? Well, is, you're saying that's all you have? Yeah. I would say not. I would say you probably shouldn't. Why don't you put that back in your pocket and, and you know, God will provide in other ways. But look at what her teachers had told her. Look at what her teachers had told her. They lived it before her. You give everything you have like I am, right? You, before all people, show them how serious you are. So though she was wrong, I believe, she operated by faith. She operated by faith and followed God and didn't worry about the cost. This is not about giving. It's not what it's about. It's about you and me authentically following Christ. Not the sham. Esse quam videre. Let me just throw a couple things up here on how you might live this out in your life. Esse quam videre. I want to give myself time to explain this a little bit. Number one, none of this is possible unless you confess Christ as your Lord and Savior. You know that, right? If you're outside of Jesus, you can't be anything but a hypocrite. It is impossible to be authentic outside of a relationship with Jesus. And so if you're trying to, you know, put this on in some way, stop. Stop. God, by grace, is calling you to Himself. The scribes, 
Jesus said they will receive great condemnation. He puts this qualification. The condemnation will be there and it will be great. But Romans 8 says if you're in Jesus, the condemnation that's coming your way is none. None. That's what it means to be in Christ. The only people that have a chance of being authentic are followers of Jesus. Those are the only ones. Authenticity is just cherished in our culture today. Cherished. And I understand that. And the only people that can do it are those that have the Spirit of God in them. Because we said authenticity is when what you portray outside is in line with what you believe. Well, the only way that's possible is the Spirit of God in you. You and I can't be godly. We can't be like Jesus. We can't be good husbands, good fathers, good employees, good church members, good neighbors. We can't do that apart from Jesus. You can't be a good son, daughter, good student. You can't do this. Oh, I know you might better, you know, spit out something once in a while, but you're never going to be good. God's definition, apart from the Spirit of God in you. So the first step of authenticity is you've got to be a follower of Christ. You've got to be a follower of Christ. Secondly is this. We, a, a true follower of Christ, confesses sin confesses sin. Look at 1 John 1.8. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. See, here we have what authenticity looks like. The fact that you sin doesn't make you a hypocrite. What makes you a hypocrite is if you cover up that sin and cherish it, is what Psalm says. And if you have cherished sin in your heart, the Lord can't hear your prayer. Can't even hear your prayer. If you have cherished sin in your heart. So yeah, it is possible for a Christian to be a hypocrite. And what it looks like is when you and I are making every effort to hide, to hide the truth that we are not what we claim to be. Now as a teacher, as a parent, as a focused teacher, this puts us in a precarious position, doesn't it? Because you and I have to, at that moment, call people to something that in reality, we can't live all the time. And so as a teacher of God's Word, you wrestle with hypocrisy. I don't want to be this. And so you spend a lot of time in 1 John 1, 8 and 9. God, forgive me for that attitude. Forgive me for that thought. Forgive me for that way that I spoke to that person. Forgive me. I want to be a clean vessel for you. So hypocrisy is all about your relationship with Christ. And then thirdly, and this one's big. All these are big, I guess. You want to be authentic this year? Be committed to God's glory. 
Be committed to God's glory. Now, what does that mean? The scribes were the antithesis of this. They were committed to their own glory. They did everything for other people to see and to think, we like you, you're a good person. We do all things, whether you eat or drink. Why does Paul pick that? He's trying to say, as basic just everyday life as you can get to, whether you even eat or drink, do it all for the glory of God. This brings your living to a whole new level. And it keeps you from being a hypocrite. Hypocrites, almost any time Jesus or the Bible talks about hypocrisy, it's almost always connected to greed. It's almost always connected to greed. Because the hypocrite is trying to get for themselves. So they put on a mask. It can be the greed for money, the greed for power, the greed for just influence in people's life, the greed for looking good. But the person who's committed to God's glory, that is what is first and foremost in their life. And so whatever may come my way, it may be unfair, it may be difficult, but I will trust that God will be glorified. This brings everything to a whole new level, you guys. I just, when I came to this understanding, it made everything in my life now clear. It made everything in my life now clear. So something doesn't go my way. I don't get what I want. I don't get to do the thing that I want to do. I can trust that God has a plan. And I'm not the hero of His plan. He didn't write a whole story and at the front end put main character, lol. That's not what happened. God's story unfolds in our life, and the main character is God. And if you try to make it you, you have no choice but hypocrisy. You can never be an authentic follower of Christ if you're not committed to the glory of God. And what that means is that your life and all that happens, it shines a light onto God. And that people, when they look where that light points, they say, wow, your life, it's unfair. It's hard. It's challenging. Stinks for you. Well, your God is good. He is good. He brought you through that. And you're not cursing Him. He brought you through that and you still worship Him. Wow. Your God is good. See, until we get there, the events of our life, they roll us over. And you put on the sham face. Hi, everything's wonderful. Right? That little balloon. You know? You been there? You've worn it? Today? And then lastly, like this widow, be convinced of God's care. And she was convinced by faith God would take care of her. God will care for her. Same thing for you. Same thing for you. Now, i got a challenge for you. A couple of them, actually. First of all, I think if we did a survey and said, how many of you have read your Bible in the last week? I think we'd be uh, surprised how many of us are never, rarely in God's Word. It's true, isn't it? It's true. 
I, I don't know what our excuse is. It really doesn't matter. But it's true. So I want to give you a challenge. Remember the challenge today was to be authentic. Esse quambedere. To be rather than to appear. So you spend time in God's word this year. Not, not, listen, it's not a New Year's resolution to spend time in God's word. It's a New Year's resolution to be rather than to appear. So I challenge you, spend time in God's word. You say, well, I don't really know where to go. Okay, I got a help for you. And it's this blue piece of paper. They're over there on the table. And what this does, this is a great plan. This is a great plan. Some of you did this last year. You follow this plan. You read through the New Testament in the year. Now, some of you are like, well, that's not much. New Testament? I can read the whole Bible in a year with my eyes closed. Okay. Tell you what. You try the New Testament this year. Let's see how you do. And next year, you can do the whole Bible with your eyes closed. Okay? But spend some time in God's Word. And so where this starts is in the Gospel of Mark. It starts with Mark. Mark, and I think Mark is just about the easiest book of the Bible to read. It's quick, it's fast, it's action. Spend some time in God's Word because you're an authentic follower of Christ. You're not a sham. You're the real deal. God's Spirit is in you and God's Spirit will use the Word as you ingest it. God's Spirit will use His Word. The second way that I want to challenge you is I think if we went home today, a lot of us, the way that we interact with our spouse is quite scary. And so I want to challenge you in the area of your marriage. This is not just some vague idea, you know, be a good husband, be a good wife. We have planned out this year in February of doing what we're calling the Art of Marriage Workshop. I've been through the material. I'm telling you, it is phenomenal. It is excellent. The idea is you and your spouse, if you're married, will come to this. You'll be at a table with three or four other couples. You will see a a top quality, challenging presentation, not a speaker, but an experience where you will interact with your spouse about your marriage, about your roles in your marriage, about how you talk to one another, about how you interact, about your sex life, about, and it'll be, believe me, it'll be fine, you're not going to be embarrassed, but it'll challenge you about, about all areas of your life. And you'll interact about God's Word and what He has to say about your marriage. You know, this is the most intimate part of our life, our personal relationship with Christ, and if you're married, your relationship with your spouse. Let's be authentic this year. It's a great call.